You're about to enter into a new world of knowledge, curiosities, and high strangeness. This is a podcast of Straight Up Strange Productions. This episode is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. Become a patron today at patreon.com forward slash into the portal. Throughout almost all ancient civilizations, there exist myths and stories of strange subterranean worlds hidden deep within our earth. A place which only few knew how to access. Mysterious portals leading to an advanced civilization, hidden in the depths of the unknown. These legends will be passed along into modern times, with various scientists throughout history discussing the possibility of what we know today as the Hollow Earth. Indeed, this theory has regaled conspiracy theorists for centuries, with tales of giants, reptilian humanoids, and alike, spoken of in ancient writings and fueling such belief. However, the idea of massive caverns, tunnels, and possibly continental-sized inner spaces hidden beneath the surface world is still believed by many to be possible. Join us on Into the Portal as we discuss what lurks beneath the surface inside the hollow earth. Welcome back into the portal. I'm Amber Ray. And I'm Andrew McKay. And we're back with another Patreon episode. Yeah, full length one for you guys. What? what? And mm-hmm. it's on a topic that it's kind of been, I think I say this all the time, but it's been on the list for a little while mm-hmm. and we weren't really sure if we were ever going to pull the trigger and actually cover this one. It's one of those kind of ones. I guess so, hey. So today we're talking about none other than, well, the hollow earth idea. In addition to many other ideas that are tied into it. And Hollow some, Earth, lost civilization. Exactly. All that good stuff. All that craziness that you guys know we love. Yep. And um, I guess in a way it sort of ties into our last regular release with the Atlantis of Japan and the idea of potentially advanced ancient civilizations descending into some sort of a hollow earth to escape cataclysm and things like that. Not to mention Kong Skull Island definitely referenced that as well. Very true. And made that a viable part of the plot. So yeah, lots of inspiration for this one. We've just been right on theme for this one, totally. Yep. So essentially what we're getting into today is ideas around, I mean, what we're going to kick it off with is these ideas of ancient beliefs, myths, and legends uh, surrounding a subterranean world, essentially. And there's different versions of this, but it's ubiquitous everywhere. Um, Every single ancient culture, essentially. Fairly. And it's interesting because in all, a lot of these ancient past civilizations, they very early on looked underground and looked to these places, caves, underground dwellings, things of that nature as sacred places and then and then we saw kind of a like even the duat right in ancient egyptian totally lore and that type of thing like 
And then it wasn't until a little bit later that they were kind of reversed and went to the heavens or the skies or whatever you want to call it, that type of thing, mm-hmm. as some sort of explanation, in some cases for an afterlife, in other cases for, say, another sort of hominid-like race that's maybe more advanced yeah. and could possibly be the seeds of our current civilization, that type of thing. So Which all getting, sorts of craziness. Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> I mean, and and essentially, you just you just hit the nail on the head there with with the idea in general is that if for those that believe in a hollow Earth and it possibly being populated by humanoid entities or other creatures, they are usually seen as larger, more intelligent, more advanced. All these classic things mm-hmm. um, that we're going to get into today, and we're going to kick it off with a little bit of the the Eastern angle on it. Well, there were some references here that we pulled up, uh, such as the Chinese uh, referring to this underworld as um, Hisitian. I'm probably mispronouncing that totally, but you know. Nice um, to Yeah, it's kind of their version of what we know in the West or ha- has been commonly referred to in the West as a place known as Agartha, which we'll get into more mm. in a second here. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting because, yeah, even in Russia, we have um, a sect, a Christian sect known as the Old Believers, who refer to this place as the uh, Belo- Belovodai. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Janidar um, by the Kurzig people. So pretty obscure references there. Well, obscure indeed. Uh, but does that sound familiar to you? The old believers, they well, from, came up uh, from our Kitesh episode. Yeah, from episode. Kitesh, yeah, that's what I was going to say. That, yeah. that was my only reference to them. I was totally. like, okay, that's interesting. In Asia, again, going back to Asia, there's another reference. Um, it's a Sanskrit name. <laughs> this is kind of funny for us because there's a, a festival that's held every year in BC, not too far away from where we live, but it has the same name, Shambhala, uh-huh. which also means place of peace, tranquility, that type of thing. Right. Not so tranquil at that music festival. Uh-huh. Well, not not that we've heard anyway. <laughs> no, not in recent years anyway. <laughs> but yeah, no, there's other references to... Like, you know, like even just in ancient Greece, when we covered the Minoans, right? Yeah. That type of thing. Like they, again, they had caves, the sacred spaces, places where they would connect to a higher power, a higher consciousness, things like that. An afterlife for sure. Definitely. Yeah. Um, again, going back to ancient Hindu beliefs, like there's there's a bunch going on there too, hey? Eh? Like you kind of pulled this up. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, again, like we could literally have an individual episode like per like, you know, the ancient Greeks Mm -hmm. version of this, like the ancient Hindu version of this. But um, theirs is a little bit more detailed when you go back uh, a little bit further in history with ancient Hinduism. And essentially they had a few different lands or realms where they were essentially just like advanced peoples that were living in these underworlds, essentially. Um, In the Mahabharata, okay, pronounce this for me. You you say it really well. The Mahabharata. Okay, there you go. There is a place known as Patala that others point to, and it shares many similarities with depictions of a subterranean world in other cultures. Um, Yeah, though it's said that there are, okay, essentially there's like this ongoing war with the Agarthans. So like Agartha, which which is this city that potentially if you want to go woo-woo, exists in the middle of the earth <laughs> and um, kind of has been looped into the realm of, I mean, it's just been tied into modern fiction and so much like today. So it's hard to kind of mm-hmm. piecemeal out like what was the actual, the ancient myths and then have, that have now been modified. Um, getting back to Patala, uh, 
Essentially, it's seen as the seventh layer of the underworld within Hindu scriptures, and it's said to be ruled by a people known as the Nagas, a half-human, half-reptilian species who are depicted within uh, with uh, jeweled hoods that essentially like light up their realm because it isn't as light as Upper Earth. And then, mm, the, is, it, is it like phosphorescence? That's what I'm picturing. <laughs> I'm totally picturing that, like the diamond of death type deal. Like, I don't know how you'd have to have that exposed to light, though, to make that happen. But, or even just a lot of um, creatures that aren't exposed to UV light, right? Kind of right. like when we've watched um, what's it called the uh, the Earth series. You know, when they go into the depths and everything, and there's yeah. their own form of lights. It's almost like a light show, like fireworks in some cases. I wonder, eh? Mm. The Naga are, like we said in the beginning, this ties into every single one of these stories, they're highly advanced, a, a race beyond our own with cutting-edge technology. A lot of the times in these stories, UFO-type te- technology is referenced. What? Not in um, this right. particular ancient story, but uh, yeah, they're said to be way more advanced than us. And occasionally, in these stories, said to abduct, even kill, torture essentially use humans for whatever they want. All right. That sounds more and more like an abduction scenario. Indeed. Here. Like, so like, that, like alien abduction. Exactly. Right. But then in most accounts, they are re- referred to as having a generally positive impact on earthly events and hmm. st- like to sort of stay separated. Okay. So kind of like guardians, but on their own turf kind of thing. But doesn't that tie in very much the, to the UFO narrative too? Right? It does. Yeah. Right? Like There's we're watching over because we're concerned about nuclear technology or whatever. But yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. It's weird, right? That is really weird. Hey friends, Andrew here. I just wanted to take a second and say that it's okay to not feel okay. Seriously, whether it's stress, feeling depressed, relationship problems, or simply feeling held back, like there are roadblocks preventing you from being who you want to be. Everyone has something like this in their lives. But one thing's for sure, it's always better to talk to someone about it. And what better way than anywhere and anytime that's convenient for you. We want you guys to take advantage of the amazing services provided by BetterHelp.com, professional, therapeutic, licensed counseling that's tailored specifically to you. It's quick and easy to get started, and it's vastly more affordable than traditional counseling. And there's even financial assistance for those who qualify too. This is a service designed to help you be a better you and take control of your mental health and of your ultimate goals. So take advantage of 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com slash portal. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash portal. Moving on to a little bit more West here. So like I said, we could go on for days, but the ancient Celts had some interesting ideas around this as well. And in Celtic mythology, there was a legend of a cave called Kurachan. And it was also known as in Ireland as, as the Irish gate to hell. Which reminds me a lot of Castle Hoska. Mm-hmm. And we're sort of jumping around here in my mind. I'm like, hey, wait a second. This tie- grand unifying theory, everybody. Like, <laughs> there's so many different places that could potentially tie into this idea of a hollow earth or caverns into the earth. Oh, yeah. And we got a list of them we got for you guys. So we'll, we'll reel those off in a minute here. But oh, yeah. Big time. <laughs> this is definitely yeah, reminding me of Hoska. That's really interesting. Yeah. So this cave is essentially was viewed as a mythical or an ancient portal, essentially, right? According to the legend, strange creatures would even emerge from the cave and be seen on the surface of the earth, unlike any animals of this earth. Okay. So another sort of parallel to Hoska, except those were uh, interpreted as demonic entities. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, and that just ties in with the times, right? Like, so Castle Hoska and 
And Castle Holska, just for everyone's reference, is in uh, the Czech Republic. Right. And Astonishing Legends did a really cool episode on it. And it's an alleged gateway to hell. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Check it out. Yeah, definitely check it out. <laughs> we should, we'll cover it one of these days. We'll go visit Jan and Alishka and, yeah. <laughs> and do it ourselves. But, okay, all of this is pretty cray-cray, though, because essentially modern science holds that the Earth, like we were taught in elementary school even, right, is an unbroken series of layers, you know, crusts and liquid magma surrounding a dense, hot core, primarily made up of iron, nickel, a few other yeah, minerals, right, heavy metals. metals. Yeah. And, uh, but not everybody is convinced. And in the 17th century, some of, like, really the leading leading, leading, most famous scientific minds of the time came up with various different theories that the planet was actually hollow or at least hollow in some places. And I wanted to kick this off with this guy named Rodney Clough, who is not from the 17th century. He, he is totally a modern author and self-proclaimed researcher. But I just wanted to read this first because it just is, it sets the stage for the, the ideas that people were trying to work with here okay. of what the hollow earth was. So according to him half the planet is taken up by surface weight and then there's empty space and then something else suspended in the center of that hollow is an interior sun that is divided by day and night sides okay he goes on to say (laughs) he goes on to say the other part of the hollow earth is near the north and south pole and substantial openings are there that lead into the interior so okay, th- so the other part of the hollow earth theory is that there are entrances in the north and south poles. And potentially various other locations that we'll get into as well. Okay. But this, so this is a modern dude still hammering a lot of the points that in the 1800s and, and early uh, early uh, 20th century people were kind of pushing for. I see. Uh, so it all kind of revolves around this idea that there's an inner world that we humans on the surface of the earth don't have access to for whatever reason, yet it exists, yet gravity exists, and everything else as we know it physically exists. Indeed. That's very interesting. I love the concept of Agartha. Um, let's just touch on that for a minute before okay. we get into all the different wild yeah, no, theories. That's a, that's and theorists, because these are some colorful people. But they were all trying to sort of connect to exactly what we're talking about with this more, the more ancient precedents, right? Set forth across many, many different cultures. But this, it's all centrally sort of focused in on this Agartha, which some refer to as the eighth continent of the world. And basically is this whole inner world within the world, (laughs) if you want to call it that, connected possibly with none other than the Limerians, the Moo peoples, possibly the Atlanteans, that type of thing. So we're talking all of our very quintessential ancient civilizations that were at one point highly organized in advance and may still continue to be unbeknownst to us. Um, So another idea, okay, so within Agartha, this like eighth continent, there's many cities, there's many realms. We'll go through a few of them. Um, Shambhala is intimately connected with this. It's basically one of the biggest cities and some people think that it's hidden in the Himalayas, but other people think it's hidden in the earth. so you know. Or at least the entrance point to it could be true, somewhere in true. the Himalayas. But in some more crazy ideas, like even if you look at the pictures, right? Like Agartha is like the entire space and then there's Shambhala is one of the biggest cities and I think it might right. be the capital, that type of thing. Okay. But anyways, yeah. So there was this Russian mystic guy named uh, Nicholas Ro- Rorich. 
um, that looked for it in the Himalayas, but he never found anything. Um, but it's, again, right, it's connected to this ancient race. Uh, we get references even um, in World War II, right, during the Nazi culture, um, connected to ancient uh, Aryans, uh, that type of thing. But according to one blog here that was called Aligning with Earth, the continent of Agartha is massive, eighth continent, exists under the entire surface of Earth. So that would be big. There's countries, states, and different kind of people, just like on Earth's surface. And <laughs> there's over 120 subterranean cities, and it's all very advanced. Here in this blog, they do reference specifically Atlantis and Lymeria. And it also talks about Telos. So there's there's Shambhala and there's Telos. And Telos is supposedly the largest of the cities apart from Shambhala. This is pretty uh, detailed. Pretty detailed fan, stuff. Fan fiction. I like this though because, well, yeah, fan fiction if you want to call it that. But once we get down a little bit further in the episode here, we'll talk about some real precedents in actual science. Definitely. And, and theoretical models and things of that such. But even... Even apart from these massive cities, over 120 of them, there's also forests, there's fields, mountains, and oceans. And it says here that most of Agartha is five-dimensional. So okay. five dimensions. Are we living in five dimensions here? Uh, <laughs> I think we live in a three-dimensional world, but maybe yeah, not actually. No, no, no. I mean, well, five dimensions. What would that really mean, though? I, 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 I can't picture it. Actually, maybe that makes sense. Am but, I just being dumb right now? I'm having a brain fart well, moment where I'm being like, hey, wait so. a second, a 3D movie. No, we live in 3D. We live in 3D. Right? Okay. I mean, if you want to count other <laughs> senses as, as, right, as like, but that's, that's as not. As other dimensions? That isn't, yeah. But no. It's like so, when you go to, a, it, it was like, <laughs> that reminds me of going to like Universal Studios when I was a kid. And yeah. you go into like the 4D, like showing of Shrek. And it's just. 3d but then they have like some wind blowing from fans underneath the chairs or like there's you can smell pine and they call that 4d it's like okay all right well okay so yeah you have the wind blowing on you and all that kind of stuff but i don't know this is kind of confusing and this is definitely one of those blog sites that is like kind of woo woo kind of out oh there. of course for sure for sure there are some okay like just to the idea of having massive oceans though and things like that we're moving towards potential precedents for that. Would they be standing up, walking around, humanoids like us type thing? I don't know. We're, we're getting crazy world. But I, 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 I did have to click on this fifth dimension because it was like hyperlinked mm -hmm. in our notes. And it says here from the blog, it says here, the earth and all living beings on the planet are shifting to a whole new level of reality, which is a consciousness of love, joy, peace, freedom, compassion, and spiritual wisdom. This has been called the fifth dimension. So it reminds me of like ascension or something like that. Like, you know, you're ascending to yeah. a new plane of reality. It's a philosophical thing. It, it is a philosophical thing. It says here, um, just to continue on, it says some say this shift will probably be complete in the next several decades while others give no date. But all seem to agree they'll be complete sometime in the near future. Hmm. Although individuals will be each moving into the fifth dimension at their own rate when their frequency is high enough to match the vibration of the higher dimension. <laughs> all righty. I'm sorry. I'm not, you had to I'm read not that. trying to. Like I'm just, <laughs> some of it's very woo woo, but it's very interesting. At the same it is time. interesting. I did want to say there too, uh, just to go along with the idea of like the oceans. I did read an article. Oh, okay. I didn't actually like, I think I included a little bit further down in our theory section and stuff, but um, it's ongoing. But essentially there was a, 
there's research being done to uh, look at water discovered like 300 miles down or something or like the, the and it's we haven't actually drilled oh. that far like the farthest down a drill's ever gone is like is like eight miles like 10 kilometers mm-hmm. or something like that right but Fracking. um there's oh, a supposedly an, a massive amount of water in like vapor form like not in liquid form but in it would be the amount it would be equal to like all the earth's oceans and it's in vapor form just because of the high temperature i guess i mean i didn't get that far into it there was a youtube video and then an article link and i was kind of getting reading into it a bit but i was like oh man we've got so much to get through here mm-hmm. and all this kind of stuff we're going to get into some other similar precedents though but it's like there's a lot left to learn about there what's is. down there oh there definitely is like we were alluding to even this last latest of japan or atlantis of japan i should say um just how unexplored the ocean is in itself um i liked bringing up this whole the world thing because for me when i was first looked into this this is very fresh for me i'm yeah. not someone that goes and like looks at this like on a regular basis but when i actually went to the scientific precedents because i was like okay let's talk about gravity for a second here let's go back to the normal realm of human reality and when you look at it more and more the theoretical models could basically be what was what I literally just reeled off there with forests, oceans, whole cities, um, everything. So yeah. I think that's really important to mention just right off the bat. Definitely. But yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, we and, it, yeah. Yeah, and if you want to go down that sci- uh, sci-fi realm and like, the, like Elysium, which we've referenced before in other episodes and stuff, but like, I mean, if there was an advanced civilization around, you know, way before even the first moderately advanced peoples were around, for us, like our ancestors, then maybe they would want to take advantage of technology on the planet they're already on. You know what I mean? Like rather than like, cause all the sci-fi movies we see are like, okay, earth is starting to get weird cataclysmic events. We need to get off this rock. Let's hop on a ship and fly to some other planet that's like earth. But if you came up with a slightly different way of using the same planet you're on, go inside of it, find the caverns. (laughs) You know what I mean though? I'm like, is that is that is that too, is that crazy? I mean, it's it's no different than the sci-fi stuff we we look at now. It's just that like okay, we put a man on the moon, so now it's like okay, it's plausible then because we've There's seen a, a rocket that's, ship that's, go up. That's a rabbit hole that we can get into for probably close to three hours. <laughs> Let's get into some of the All early right. proponents of the theory. <laughs> fine, fine, fine. No, like the, I have a section on Elysium too. We'll get to that. All we'll right. get to. It. So there was like I said already. There's tons of famous people that were proponents of this and most notably early on was none other than edmund haley so the guy who famously identified and named uh, haley's comet isn't it Halley? i always referred to it as haley and was said haley's ha- haley to me when i was a kid and i always called it that haley's and comet, i don't give haley's a shit comet. i'm rolling with haley's yeah, sure. comet haley, sure. so proposed in 1692 it was a supposed way to of expanding uh, on theories of anomalous compass readings that frequently occur throughout the world, essentially, uh, or at specific parts of the world, right? And his theory was that the planet is a series of nested spherical shells spinning at different directions, essentially. So picture multiple layers of shells on top of one another, and they're all kind of moving in different directions. It's the same idea as like the layers you might picture when you look at like the Earth being broken up on like a scientific map today. Um, Okay, so spinning in different directions, all surrounding a central core. And in his estimation, based on basically his readings and studying of magnetic fields and what we, he knew of gravitational pull at the time, you know, between the sun, the moon, on the earth, this model could account for 
any inaccuracies in his readings of the magnetic fields of the planet. So he basically Hmm. posited that the space between each shell may have had like luminous atmospheres capable of supporting life. Like essentially he was thinking that these different poles were accounted for by spaces is what I'm gathering from this. Okay. I, I, in my head, I'm almost picturing like a bunch of bubbles. Like, you know, when you have like a bubble bath or something and there's a bunch of, like we've referred to this even as a possible, like a a, interdimensional. Yeah, exactly. But that's interesting. And yeah, for me, it's a little bit foreign, but that's kind of, kind of interesting yeah like how how like is he talking like these are like force fields or they're actual legit spheres of matter like that's where i'm kind of getting confused i think i'm thinking he's i what what i what i picture when i read this is that there's spaces between the layers and so he's talking about energy spheres kind of thing so it's kind of reminding me of tesla now because remember he's talking about each human's a battery and like how we could possibly each be a cell and that type of thing and, and create our own energy fields and all that kind of stuff and, and possibly become the world wide web just because of the own energy that house within our own bodies and things like that. Yeah. I don't know. That's getting pretty woo. I mean, I'm, I, is he talking about energy spheres or physical spheres, like spherical shells? Like, so like picture a hall, like a basketball and then a mini basketball within that and then a mini one within that, a mini one within that. And between each one is oh, a luminous atmosphere capable of supporting I, life. I'm getting a different idea now. Okay, I'm not seeing bubbles anymore because it's a series of nested spherical shells. Like Russian nesting I dolls. I see. Okay, like the Russian dolls. So each one of these shells is spinning in a different direction. Right. Okay, so it's not like a bunch of like pockets that make up the surface of the earth. Right. Okay, that makes a little more sense. I mean, sense. that's what I'm getting out of that. Okay. That's and interesting. Then so we kinda, all surrounding a central core. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. So that's that's explaining anomalous compass readings. <laughs> we really need Chris for this episode. Where are you, Chris? <laughs> I suppose we could have asked him like 10 minutes before we started recording like we normally do, but it uh, might have been a little tight. <laughs> Jumping up a few uh, hundred years here, or well, not quite, but uh, definitely a little bit further in the future. In 1818, the sort of next major development in this whole uh, idea of the hollow earth came with a guy named john sims jr john cleves sims jr to be precise um he's the guy who famously coined or at least had them named after him sims holes this idea of these entrance points like the north and south oh, pole okay. potentially even under the pyramid of giza wherever there's a bunch and we're I gonna see. get into them but he believed the earth was hollow and he was a veteran of the war of 1812 super unsuccessful in business <laughs> <laughs> had a bunch of other kind of fail failures in his life. Uh, but he soon became one of the most famous and successful uh, proponents of the hollow earth theory and published papers and things like that and wrote books and stuff. But his initial version of the earth's interior was like a simplified version of Haley's multi-layered model. So rather than it being multiple layers upon layers upon layers, this sort of nested shell situation that Haley, Howley, whatever we're going to do, referred to, Sims' version included huge holes, like definitively, at the North and South Pole, which allowed access to this hidden world with in, inside. And these, uh, yeah, these were his unique addition to okay. this uh, to this older theory, and then they were coined as Sims holes. So essentially, now I'm thinking like, okay, so it's almost like a sphere that is hollow in the center of the Earth. If there's these two poles that are the openings. So it's like, right. it kind of reminds me of the Death Star in a way. Yeah. You know, where there's like that central kind of 
meeting. It totally reminds me mm, of that. Definitely. What if Earth is man-made. <laughs> hey, people believe that. There's we could get into all that. Is this all just a simulation? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. He he was on top of this for a long time. He like was trying to get funding to for an expedition to either one of the poles. He went to Congress. He he campaigned door to door on his own. He was eventually able to convince enough people, had enough supporters of his theory, uh, that in 1822, he actually, again, got Congress to vote. Imagine getting Congress to vote on this. I mean, I guess the Congress now might listen to it. I don't know. But uh, he, he did get funding. He got his funding for his expedition. Um, oh, he did? Early, what? early on, or at least he got verbal approval. And then when it actually came time, Got shut down. Got oh, just like calm. Carpet yanked out from underneath him and never actually made it on an expedition. But he uh, carried it. He carried the belief in the inner earth and the lush paradise of the hollow earth uh, all the way to his grave in uh, where he died in uh, 1849 without ever actually following through on his expedition. But it never died. Mm. People did not let this die. No, no, definitely. So we're in the 1800s here. This is mid-1800s. He dies in 1849. Now jump forward about four, 50 years later um, to Cyrus Teed. So this is about 1894 we're talking now. This guy, he was coined as a natural healer, eventually went on to be somewhat of a cult leader, and he was of the mind that we are actually already living on the inside of the hollow earth. And that essentially, like, this is the weirdest one. So we are looking up at the universe, which is itself an illusion created by a strange solar mechanism. Stars are just reflections of this mechanism's light. And now I'm thinking of Elysium again, but anyways, um, his theory managed to gain some traction. So the, he did, like like I already mentioned, he had a small cult that developed around him. Yep. It was called uh, the Khorashan Unity after Teed himself renamed himself Koresh. What a guy. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> That's a classic cult leader thing to do. It is. Yeah. The Koreshans, um, they had a colony in Florida, of course. Of course. Yep. Everything weird happens in Florida. Always. Um, but most of the community disbanded after his death in 1908. So that was kind of an interesting character there. I like how he kind of went full on conspiracy theory. So it was like, we're already there, but we don't know it kind of, it's almost like a very, very early version of the matrix. Definitely. Mm -hmm. And there's that version of the conspiracy theory that's being covered up. And then there's also the version that it's like these holes exist everywhere, but there's an international banking conspiracy that doesn't want us to know that the hollow earth exists and Mm. they're trying to cover it up. And it's super like the classic tinfoil hat conspiracy theory stuff. Okay. Getting back to Clough though, you know, Rodney, Rodney, he's the most modern and he wrote that book. um, What's it called? I can't remember now. It was like, uh, oh, it was up here. He's written a few on on the Hollow Earth. He has. The top secret world, our Earth is, in all caps locks, hollow. (laughs) (laughs) So this guy, yeah, he's one of the more modern dudes, but he insists that the inside of the Hollow Earth is nothing but a lush tropical paradise and very likely houses, uh, what we've already referenced here, an advanced race of either aliens, giants, or humans, or all of the above. They'd be quite alien to us, even if they weren't terrestrial. Hey? They'd be humanoid, they're alien, and they're apparently and they've clearly, massive. Yeah, exactly. And they've clearly rejected us. <laughs> We're just the outcasts here. But he does say in his book that they have flying saucer technology and that they're essentially, they've perfected 
their um, culture and civilization and their science is much more advanced because they can live longer lives. They can live in perfect health for hundreds of years, supposedly. I don't know where he's getting this information here, but um, yeah, Rear maybe end. maybe it's this perfect climate. Yeah, I suppose. I, I mean, you're not... It's, it's a perfect climate where humans are healthier, animals are healthier, everything lives longer, everything's better, oh, and nice. um, everything is just the bee's knees compared to the surface. So I feel like he's very much a um, sci-fi utopianist kind of thing. You know what I mean? Definitely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's, oh, yeah. I mean, this guy's nuts. Let's just say it. Let's just, let's just go ahead and say that. Like, you know, he, he doesn't have any actual credentials to back any of this up. He's just an okay. author. It's unlike the um, Graham Hancock, who we brought up in the Atlantis of Japan, who's an author and a self-proclaimed, self-proclaimed researcher. But he actually dove Yonaguni. He's, he, he dove the sites. He does he does his homework, right? You can't dive the inner earth. You can't. You, <laughs> you can try. You can you can, you can try. try you can try. <laughs> like just like man. um. Oh man, just like that episode of Murdoch. Yeah, Mysteries. I was just thinking that too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's oh, a great man. episode. I love that. That would have been a grim a grim realization. Yeah, because in the end of that episode, they literally just drill into the earth. Yeah, that's the last one. Run out of gas, get stuck. That's it. Yeah. Because that was an interesting machine, too, because it was essentially a drill. And so as it's drilling through the earth, it's depositing material behind it. So there's no way back. That's scary. You're basically burying yourself alive. Uh, yeah, essentially. One of the worst ways to die. Ooh. Oof. Terrible. Okay. Let's move on here. You'd probably run out of air before you... You know what I mean? You'd, well, yeah, you'd suffocate. you just get loopy. Most likely. Yeah. <laughs> Great way to go. Great way. Yeah, great I, I'd way. choose it any day. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> All right. The panic would be just the worst part of it, I guess. Oh, God. I'm so claustrophobic. I wouldn't. Mm-hmm. There's no way. Things do, as we move forward here, get even weirder, believe it or not. If That's kind of hard to believe. But it, <laughs> it really does get more strange. Aren't we topping ourselves? So hmm. we're moving ahead another century here, essentially. Um, you know, between the time of the Great Depression and World War II. And there's a guy by the name of Admiral Richard E. Byrd. He ended up being a pilot for the U.S. Navy. And... He's sort of a divisive figure because some say he never actually, you know, flew as far as he did on multiple flights. In other circles, he's he's sort of seen as a pioneer who further explored, you know, who furthered exploration to the poles of the earth. And yeah, after a multitude, after a whole bunch of different trips to the Arctic territories, he he definitely had some stories to tell, and some of them were pretty out there. And he had a he had hardcore following, and and some of them weren't so sure. But hmm. according to an alleged diary entry. Okay, written uh, during his polar flight, that has now since been lost. Apparently, this was read and reviewed by multiple people. We can't find it. There's no original copy. But according to Bird, in this diary entry, he describes flying into one of these Sims holes at the pole, at the North Pole, and came across a warm, lush climate with massive mammoth-like creatures and an ancient human race that had been residing within the inner Earth. Let's just let that soak in for just a second. Let's just pause for a fact right here, folks. Okay. Okay. So, so he, he literally like dove into a hole. Like. So he's, yeah, he's, I, I picture in my head, like, you know, if this is like a movie scene, he's like flying up over, up over a ridge line, coming down into what is maybe perceived to be a canyon from a distance, but then is clearly just a massive gaping crater in the earth. Ooh, almost like in um, Star Wars A New Hope when yes. they fly into the big ass like asteroid hole thing. <laughs> big ass hole, asteroid the hole. The big ass asteroid <laughs> hole. Oh my God, that's bad. Oh no. That's great. 
Okay. It gets even more strange, though, if we want to, because we, we mentioned UFO technology. He mm. claims to have been commandeered midair as he was flying into this entrance. His craft was? His craft. And essentially aided in landing. So he's intercepted, right, by a saucer-shaped aircraft. And then upon landing, he was met by emissaries of this civilization who basically told him that they were, he was in the mythical Agartha. They literally said Agartha. I feel like these are embellishments on the missing journal. Okay. So it wasn't, it wasn't, we're not 100% whether or not he specifically referenced Agartha or something Agartha-like. According to the sources that I pulled up, that was a word referenced. Interesting. Okay. Okay. Is this guy just getting loopy? Is he running out of oxygen? What's going on here? I don't know. Is this, yeah, like a gremlins-like situation? I don't know. Yeah. It's cold up there too, right? It's cold. Mm -hmm. Okay. These alleged advanced people. It's so cold. It's hot. It's so cold. It's hot. So hot. All right. Okay. This ties into the UFO stuff too, though. These alleged Agarthans or whoever you believe them to be, Lumerians, the ancient peoples of Mu, Atlanteans, whoever, they express their concern about humanity's use of atomic weapons during the Second World War. And essentially tried to, according to Bird, employ him to be their ambassador and head back up out of the hole and return with this message of concern over nuclear technology. What do you think of that? I think that's a very individual exceptionalist kind of claim to make. You know what I mean? Like if these people are as advanced as they are, why would they choose some random pilot to essentially act as their guardian, their emissary or whatever you want to call it? Why wouldn't they go through more legitimate channels? And on top of that, if you want to add another conspiracy layer here, why wouldn't they have already have infiltrated and already be in the top position so that they can influence the course of world history? Oh, that's just the humanist narrative, though, isn't it? Yep, it is. Right? It's very interesting, though. I like that. It's very fantastical, obviously. And since we did recently cover the monster of Partridge Creek, now I'm thinking to myself, like, wait a second, did he, did he go into a time slip? You know? Or did the monster of Partridge Creek come out of a Sims hole? Or that. Reptilians of the hollow earth. Plot thickens. All right. Let's add a dash of Nazis into this. (laughs) Because because why not? I mean, they were crazy. Super into a cult. Because essentially there was a lot of speculation. It was like, why was Bird even going there? Right? Like what? Who was he a national? U.S. Navy. He was the U.S. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And, Mm -hmm. And there was, again, speculation whether or not his flights were as long as they were. Whether or not he actually embellished his flight path right like wrote it down like logged it differently others speculated that he was maybe there uh to essentially try to keep track of a nazi presence and there was a massive nazi presence in the arctic territory throughout the late 30s and into the war makes sense both north and south um super well documented that they were exploring these regions regions and tried to set up bases and they were testing different naval weaponry and testing all kinds of different stuff. And of course, they were looking for evidence of the ancient Aryans. So yes. this all ties in together. They were outright looking for Atlantis. I mean, we've watched documentaries on it, like the Nazis searched for Atlantis because yep. Hitler believed that it, that was the most ancient link to the Aryan peoples. Into an advanced race that they could then use to support them as, you know, like a superior ethnicity. Right. Never worked out. <laughs> no. <laughs> Big surprise. But so obviously we know super into the esoteric stuff, the occult, craziness. So of course it, it's very easy to think why why wouldn't they send subs and expeditions to try to look for the inner earth? Mm-hmm. This sounds very much like what the Nazis would have been into. And apparently there are a few maps that are 
potentially still even in archives, like German archives, that were recovered, that were said to be instructions for reaching Agartha and different entrance points to the inner earth. Okay? Okay. (laughs) These were supposedly corroborated later on after the war by a letter discovered from a a German U-boat navigator uh, by the name of Karl Unger, who essentially claimed that their U-boat, the uh, uh, Sub-209, made it to Agartha somehow, went through a portal underwater, Okay. Oh, that makes sense because I'm kind of thinking now, like, obviously the poles are covered in ice, so you would have to either drill through the ice or have some sort of underwater entrance. Yeah. So kind of reminds me cool. of The Abyss. I know. We just keep throwing out the movie Sorry. reference. No, yeah. it, is, it totally <laughs> does. I mean, I feel like everything we've been watching lately has been pointing us to do a Hollow Earth episode because they're all ties in. The, the ending of the abyss in particular, right? Because they surface this massive craft that supposedly rises up from the depths of something that looks like none other than an underwater city like Atlantis or yeah. like in the Little Mermaid. What do they call that one? Oh. <laughs> Anyways, whatever it is. I don't know. Nah. <laughs> okay, but this letter basically says that the idea is that some of these more esoteric thinkers within the Nazi organization that believed the hollow earth was a real thing, they were right. And it mentions the notorious German uh, general Karl Hausschrofer and Rudolf Hess, mm. who I believe we've mentioned in other episodes, oh, yeah. right? Hess Probably the right Amber Room and stuff like that. Yep. He basically just said they were correct. The, the earth is indeed hollow. And then nothing was ever followed up on it. That we know of. Hmm. I mean, that's maybe there is a conspiracy going on here. Perhaps. Yeah. After like post-World War II, obviously a lot of records were destroyed in the wake of like, you know, the invasion of this, the, um, oh, the allies into German territories and things like that. They were just basically burning everything, demolishing it all, all that kind of stuff. So who knows what was potentially lost and all these crazy projects they're working on. That's so fascinating. Yeah. It's, it's wild. Oh man. So let's get into some of these possible entrances because we've already referenced the polls. Um, there's some other interesting ones, though, too, and some of them will be very familiar to our listeners here. The first one on the list in particular, the none other than the Kentucky Mammoth Cave in South Central Kentucky. So that's a possible entranceway into the supposed kingdom of Agartha. Uh, there's also, there's a few other ones. So in California, U.S. Mount Shasta. So some people think that the city of Telos is found beneath this mountain. So that was the largest city. I referenced that at the top yep. um, besides Shambhala, the capital. Right. There's also Manias, Brazil, uh, another one called Mato Grosso. So supposedly the city of Posid lies underneath this plain. There's one between Brazil and Argentina known as Iguazo Falls. In Italy, there's Mount Eponimo. And in the Himalayans, uh, Tibet, there's supposedly this under this entranceway to an underground city of Shonse, which is guarded by Hindu monks. In Mongolia, there's supposedly an underground city of Xinhua, which is found underneath the border of Mongolia and China. India, there's one in Rama. So supposedly beneath the surface city is the lost, long lost subterranean city known as Rama. So again, like kind of like, reminds okay. me of underground Prague, but obviously underground Prague is proven to be Yeah, it's an actual city, yeah. Uh, you already referenced this one. Uh, the Pyramids of Giza. Another one, King Solomon's Mines. Wherever that might be. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're not sure where that one is still. <laughs> mm-hmm. But then again, um, the North and South Poles just ended off there. Right. Yeah. So that's a, that's a laundry list of possible entranceways. <laughs> I like that. Um, What's the most interesting one on that list to you? 
I like the Pyramid of Giza. That's very interesting. The Kentucky Mammoth Caves. That's also fascinating because obviously there's precedence of tiny little creatures supposedly coming out of there. Yeah. So it's like, are are those sightings, are any cave sightings and this the idea of goblins and small creatures just evolved and changed like super ancient peoples? Possibly. Kind of like Pandorum where it's like a thousand years, you're out locked in a ship yeah. and things start to change. Yeah, and, and and when you're in sort of an isolated environment, those sort of evolutionary changes, if you believe in evolution, those changes happen on a much more rapid rate. Perhaps you you just threw or that out there. Mutations. You just threw that out there because we just watched that bit on on uh, on on how the, the, the hard the, the yeah. hardcore line of like Darwin and evolutionary yeah. theory might not mm-hmm. be so perfect. Yeah, exactly. And, and how more some people believe mutations that, involved. Well, exactly. And some people are of the mind that these mutations are actually they would only lead to the degradation of otherwise useful traits and things like that. But for me, I'm thinking no, no, no. But survival of the fittest too right so if mm-hmm. if those mutations aren't useful then those specific individuals are going to get just eliminated exactly. from the gene pool right but anyways i don't know We're um, off topic. what about you though is there any of those that well i really yeah i feel like yeah definitely the mammoth caves for sure because just because of how massive they are and just this precedent of the of the goblins and goblins and just these tiny creatures in cave systems very much like the the Kentucky Mammoth Cave system around the world mm-hmm. and how these are seen as portals and they were used as special burial grounds and people would go into them and not come out in ancient times and oh, so it's definitely, crazy. definitely vibing with that. Yeah. For sure. I have sort of a Buzz Killington moment here, which isn't actually when you think about it more. Like for me, I was like, again, like I already mentioned, I was like, what about gravity, people? If we have a hollow earth, how is everything what staying on the ground? Action. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's an insider. All right. um, but ac- according to NASA, I had to go to the kids' version of NASA. <laughs> well, yeah. But this explains it really well. So it says here that gravity is essentially the force um, by which a planet or other body draws objects towards its center. The force of gravity keeps all the planets in orbit around the sun, which is theoretically the largest piece of mass in our solar system. Ergo, makes sense that everything else is circulating around it. Indeed. Yes. Um, Albert Einstein described gravity as a curve in space that wraps around an object, such as a star or planet. If another object is nearby, it is pulled into the curve. So again, explaining how things are drawn into orbit and things of that right. sort of nature. But it gets a little more interesting here. It says here, Earth's gravity comes from all of its mass, which of course like makes sense to me. And even like we've mentioned the expanding Earth theory and how that basically is ridiculous because as you're it's basically the opposite of what gravity would be doing right you know what i mean so there's no way that that mass is being pulled apart and is creating new mass underneath it type of thing anyways no that's a whole other can of worms but it says here so yeah earth's gravity comes from all its mass all its mass makes a combined gravitational pull on the mass of your body that's what gives you weight and if you were on a planet with less mass than earth you would weigh less than you do here which makes sense However, gravity is not the same everywhere on Earth. Gravity is slightly stronger over places with more mass underground than over places with less mass. So when you actually look, there's like a little diagram and we will have the link in our show notes, but there's a diagram that shows places where it appears quite um, absent, not absent, but lessened by like a a degree. So for me, uh, my question is, could we still have 
the same gravitational phenomena if Earth was hollow, supposedly, or if Earth had a cylindrical opening, or if there were spaces in which there was nothing. You know what I mean? So going back to the whole idea of uh, supposedly a lot, like the eighth continent residing in the center of the Earth. Right. And the idea that perhaps there's this sun in the very center of that, correct? So maybe that is dense enough to keep everything sort of pulling together. So I don't Potentially. know. I mean, that that almost sort of... Um, ties in with the Edmund Edmund Haley, Edmund Howey thing too, because right. it, the it's rotating th- spheres within this, a sphere. Yeah, and this idea that and, and honestly there was others too. Like Isaac Newton was talking about this type of stuff and there was a bunch of people right. in in the alchemical world too, the Paracelsuses of the world and different different folks like that. Mm-hmm. But that kind of ties into that to me. This idea that like, okay, gravitation, the, the compass is going to read significantly differently here because there's more mass and over here there's a potentially co- continental sized cavern beneath mm-hmm. the earth and there's less a, pull. A lot of the places that appear to have less density or less gravitational pull were places that were generally over oceans and things like that. So the crust is thinner. Gotcha. Um, I've, yeah, you already mentioned it. You... <laughs> little sneaky Pete getting getting ahead of the game oh, here. Oh, well. I had this pop culture example of Elysium because I just kept thinking about that. I was like, hey, wait a second. So this is basically a rotating, not a sphere, it's a rotating ring that looks much like a bike with spokes and everything and has like a central core. And essentially these, because they're spinning, you have um, what's known as, um, oh my gosh, what's it called? Uh, centrifugal force, mm. which can create yeah. gravity. And I, I, I looked up this little article from Seeker. It was called um, Science versus Fiction, Elysium. So they were describing how basically this is a quote. It says here, the orbital structure in Elysium is a rotating Taurus-style station, which uses centrifugal force to produce artificial gravity, keeping the residents and the atmosphere from flying off into space. The system is based on, in part on the Stanford Taurus model developed by NASA in the 1970s, and it uses this ring and spoke system and mirrors to redirect sunlight. I thought that was fascinating. I was like, hey, wait a second. So this is a ring that's rotating. The earth rotates. What if the earth is like a spherical version of this instead of a ring-like version? Which when you look at theoretical models of this Taurus example, you do see versions of either um, a cylindrical or spherical model. So I I got really excited when I saw that. I was like, oh my God. But okay, so this specific model called the Stanford Taurus was proposed during 1975 in a NASA summer study conducted at Stanford University. And the purpose of this was to explore and speculate on designs for future space colonies. Hmm. Interesting. (laughs) Yeah. So the interior space of the Taurus is used as a living space, and it's large enough that a natural environment can be simulated. So natural environment meaning forests, oceans, cities, everything. And that the Taurus appears similar to a long, narrow, straight glacial valley whose ends curve upward and eventually meet overhead to form a complete circle. And uh, the population density sorry, is similar to a dense suburb with part of the ring dedicated to agriculture and part to housing. And this particular example required nearly um, 10 million tons of mass altogether. So a lot of mass to hold everything together. Right. So I'm thinking to myself, like, hey, wait a second. So if continental crust and ocean crust is that enough mass you know what i mean with these like you know like liquid magma surfaces like subsurface layers and things like that too i don't know i I had so many like thoughts running through my head when i was looking at this i was like wait a second like this is the potential this is the model of essentially what we've kind of been talking about really except it's earth 
So what if Earth isn't really a planet? What if it's a whole construction that isn't really what we think it is? <laughs> well, that would make... We're living in the Matrix. Oh, my <laughs> that God. That would make the, the, the proposition of a hollow Earth all the more plausible, I suppose, mm-hmm. with all this stuff. Yeah. So I thought that was really cool because, again, connects back to what we were talking about with Agartha having over 120 cities, having forests, having oceans, all this stuff. When you look at the like the actual illustrations and depictions that are from NASA and other reputed sources, this looks kind of like the crazy Agartha maps kind of thing, but just a different sort of structure. I don't know. I thought it was really cool. I showed you a few pictures too, hey? Oh, man, I can't wait to post them. They're just like... It, it is Elysium, essentially. If, you, if you've seen that movie, then you'll have a really clear understanding of what we're talking about right now. But if you don't, then be sure to go on our yeah. Facebook and on our Instagram because yeah. it'll, it'll be up there too. We're definitely going to post that stuff. It really does. It really does just make you wonder what, what was possible in a full cycle before us or even before the dinosaurs, right? Like a full cycle before. Yeah. Because... Oh man, yeah, it's just, just it's just wild. It's just crazy. It, it is really cool. I love it. Even though it's all theoretical and the Taurus model was never actually put into operation as far as I'm aware. Maybe it is. No, maybe we're living in it. In a, no, in a, yeah, in a, in a pre <laughs> in a pre historical civilization that had much higher technology than us. Working with actual science though, moving into some theory thoughts and theories here, mm-hmm. I found some kind of interesting stuff that is just a massive precedent for for complex life at subterranean levels, which is pretty pretty crazy. So this okay. is an article from the Smithsonian, and uh, they're basically researching in various different abandoned mines and taking rock samples um, that were really really old. So I have a quote here, and I actually accidentally deleted the name, so I will uh, figure out who says this quote after the fact here, but. Basically, um, this was near the top of the article. Ancient bacteria from nearly two miles below the Earth's surface. That is what first drew uh, a scientist by the name of Tullus Onstott to begin uh, his search for life in the most unlikely of places. And uh, he's a geomicrobiologist that had attended a 1992 U.S. Department of Energy meeting about rocks that were estimated to be over 200 million years old. So much, much older than the extinction of, than most dinosaurs were. And these prehistoric rocks that had been unearthed from a gas explosion, they turned out to be absolutely teeming with bacteria. And these bacteria had been living in these Triassic rocks since they were deposited at a time prior to the age of the dinosaurs. Which is absolutely bizarre. That's insane. It's absolutely they, so they crazy. were exploring um they're digging wells for gas. Yeah. That was the idea. That was in this one, yeah. And so, so these researchers were going to various places for yeah, like um wells being dug for gas. Uh, they went to South Africa in abandoned uh, gold mining shafts that were up, like super, super deep and going into water deposits down there to see what sort of different bacteria, if there was, you know, basically just looking for microbiology type stuff, but then realized that there was way more complex life, way deeper down than we ever thought. So not just bacteria, but they also found nematodes, which is really interesting because they are a complex multicellular organism that's a predator. It hunts things. Mm. It hunts other small bacteria and stuff like that. And they discovered a large number of these living in mines in that were essentially, they were living in water that was existing in these mines that was anywhere from three to 12,000 years old from boreholes that wow. were just chilling in there. Okay. So, and this is like, this is two, two and a half miles down, this particular one here. So, th- yeah, it, 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 these animals were the first evidence of this multicellular life this deep inside the earth. And we've only drilled down as far as eight miles ever. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
That's now the last we've now we've now with other technology, we know that there's water 300 miles down in a diff- in different states and stuff technically. Okay, but 300 miles down. Hmm. This, but this is one like, thing we didn't look up is how thick. Like you know, if you were to literally drill from one side of the earth to the other, how thick would it actually be? You know what I mean? Yeah, that's actually interesting. See how much ground you actually have to cover. No kidding. Yeah, that. So this is this is kind of taking a different sort of approach because yeah. obviously these aren't advanced humanoid civilizations by any means or anything like that. But no, but it's but it's impressive. Sorry, are these are these um, anaerobic? environment so Nearly. deprived of oxygen almost or? yeah essentially yeah they're anaerobic they're almost no oxygen um but they still move they were still moving okay there was another part too that they didn't actually go into detail in the article but they found what appeared to be something like a crustacean in one of these shafts like two miles down okay. as well so hmm. complex forms of life ridiculous depths massive amounts of pressure no oxygen zero sunlight and they are predators, these nematodes. They're, they're, they're hunting and they're living and they're thriving. Before you know it, they're going to get in their UFOs and come abduct us from the surface and then maybe do some uh, cattle mutilations while but they're at this, it. This, no, but this, okay, you're, you're being silly, obviously. But the, the point is that this is like right here we're working with like known scientific knowledge. Okay? Yeah, yeah, totally. We're digging, we're going deeper into the earth and all of a sudden it's like, okay, hey, this stuff can survive and proliferate and be really successful at ridiculously, at ridiculous depths. With completely different chemical compositions as well. Right. Mm-hmm. So if you so if you add that into the realm of, you know, opening the mind a little bit to be like, okay, maybe we don't necessarily know everything about our ancient past. Maybe there were people capable of developing a Taurus-like environment to survive in, not out in space like Elysium. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Me don't know. No, nobody really knows. <laughs> but I'm 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 vibing with it because it just sounds so damn cool. You know what's interesting too that we can even bring up here is the Dyson sphere. So this was another sort of hypothetical megastructure that essentially okay. So this is this was theorized to be a solution for a spaceborn colony that would need to harness energy from external extraterrestrial sources so essentially it would encompass a star and capture it's a large percentage not all of it but a large percentage of its power output and that to me i'm like thinking to myself like what if there's a star in the core of earth and we've already created one of these spheres and ancient like you know this is so ancient that we have done a complete revolution and have lost that knowledge right and no longer it's almost like cloud atlas right where there's so many different revolutions of earth and and, and human civilizations and things like that that all this knowledge gets lost yet it's still there we just can't really see it or perceive it because we're basically ants in a colony and we can't see across the sidewalk never mind you know like <laughs> across the world like right. that type of thing right um that's kind of going down to crazy down too not but. even though because then even even our own planet that we're on whether you believe it's a what you just described or just as is like you know what i mean like out mm-hmm. in, in our galaxy we've only mapped like five percent of the fl- ocean floor yeah we've only drilled eight miles down we've only we've got a lot of we haven't cured like anything <laughs> like that <laughs> these days that's important like and the thing is too like we can even go less black and white with the whole conversation it's not like as if there's two 
like half moon shells that is earth and then there's these um entrance ways at the north and south pole like what if there is just spaces like caverns that can house a a population or or a culture or something like that or even just animals like if we're not going advanced civilization here like Mm -hmm. kong skull island reptilian monsters the skull that don't need light like Mm -hmm. these nematodes picture a giant nematode that wouldn't be pretty it would just be like a worm, but still. It reminds Here's me of, uh, oh, what was it? We were just watching season two of Stranger Things. What's this, the kid, the little kid's... Um, dart. 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 I was going to yeah. say LARP. I was like, no, that's live action role play. LARP. <laughs> God. <laughs> dart, LARP, you know, same thing. Oh, Amber. Uh, You're giving away things about ourselves right now. What? I love Stranger Things. No, LARP. Oh, LARP. We only did it once. Which is, wait, wait. You were Franco Torino, the, yeah. the garbage man slash... Uh, Slash um, mob boss. Mob boss guy. Yeah. That was so funny. That I don't even know who I was. I can't remember now. But anyways, that's a different topic. Um, you ready to kind of wrap this up? I was just going to ask you, like, where are you sitting with this whole topic? Like, what what, what part of Crazy Town are you in right now? Man, that's such a good question. I feel like I'm just like, I'm such a I want to believe type guy, right? But this is obviously one of the most out there things we've ever covered on the show. And I say that all the time, but it really truly is because we're talking about an inner sun and Mm -hmm. all this like to me it's almost more fan it's more fantastical than when we're talking about the existence of trolls or goblins coming out of caves definitely Um, i get kind of confused too even going back to the top when there was that guy that postulated that it was divided between like a day and night kind of thing i'm like hey wait a second where's the day and the night coming from if if like you know because obviously that's created by the rotation of the earth and the lack of sun because we're on the other side of the sun ergo we can't see it ergo it's dark right you know what i mean like so what's creating that on the inside of earth like (laughs) yeah it was almost like he Uh, that's my bone to pick yeah (laughs) yeah well you could pick many with that guy (laughs) but the point is that people are still interested in this thing i'm fascinated i love the maps looks like um middle earth kind of thing or i don't even know and i just want there to be like an underground layer with godzilla in it that's part of the hollow earth that's like a real (laughs) thing that just you know just wait till i'm like 80 and then you can come up and just ruin everything like i'm totally fine i'd I'd, I'd be super down for that we'll go sit on a mountaintop watch the whole thing and just die up there totally totally (laughs) That'd be great. Actually, well. Uh, I love it. Either <laughs> I, way, I think it's super fantastical, hey? But super fun. It's great to think about. And even just bringing in the whole, like, these NASA theoretical models and this Taurus model and things like that, like, mm-hmm. that adds an ounce of legitimacy in, in the sea of crazy. That's but, the problem we're in, though, right? It's like there's so much fiction. There's so much craziness mm-hmm. online. There's so much. And we're all, just laymen, right? So we yeah. can only reference pop culture and only go so far into gravity and all these other crazy things. But it's you know that's that's how we roll i feel like we will find (laughs) that's how we roll um roll like a sushi roll i feel like we will find out a little bit more in this regard though like in the 17 1700s it was conclusively proven that it was like not a thing but then maybe not so once we all get into that fifth dimension Uh, we'll all be there in spirit at least in spirit (laughs) that's right well guys we want to know what you think. Leave a this comment. This has been fun. Yeah. I hope you guys enjoy this. This is our, yeah, our falling Patreon for you folks. Yeah. On the last day of the month. Woohoo. Yeah. Got it in just in time. Yeah. Just in time for your August long. Definitely. Mm-hmm. I really want to know what you guys think. We want to know what you think of this prehistory history. And if there is a hollow earth with advanced peoples, like, would they have come from well before the cycle of earth mm-hmm. dinosaurs leading up until this new cycle of humanity we're in now? Mm-hmm. 
Or that's they, what I'm vibing with. Like, yeah, that's what yeah. I'm thinking. How ancient is this? If there's or, anything to this, that's what it is. Yeah, okay. That's where you're heading. And All then right. maybe like, I would have to agree with that. And yeah. then maybe like the Yanagunis of the world are like the, the, the modern, you know, call back to that. Like, a, you know, it's mm-hmm. like, a, it's like a, you know, a piece for the gods or whatever, right? I see. Hmm. 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 On that note. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for listening. And uh, until next time on Into the Portal. Your gateway to the bizarre. Discover more shows like this one at straightupstrange.com.